everybody. Thanks for joining me today on this very important podcast. And my guest is a physician, a podcaster, author, speaker, and a health coach. His name is Dr. Thomas Hemingway, and he also has a book coming out called Preventable. So let's get right into this, and we're going to find out how important our gut health is to our overall health. It was funny, last night I was reading the chapter in my book just specifically for this podcast because we we're going to talk about uh, gut health. So I, I have a pretty extensive chapter on gut health in there. I'm like, I'll just read that chapter as the as the primer for tomorrow, just to get all this stuff back in my head. <laughs> it's all up there somewhere, but sometimes, you know, it's like, okay, where do I find that one thing I wanted to share? You know, it's all in there. Well, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, that's the thing with, with experts such as yourself, whether it be in health or science or whatever it is, you're an expert, but you have so much information that you can't, I, I don't know anybody that can really just pull it out of the head immediately and say, okay, this is what it is. You still have to go back and look at your own notes and everything. That's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause I'm looking here on your updated website too, which again is fantastic. You've got a uh, happy gut, happy life. And I do remember the first time we're talking, you, you'd said just that phrase too: happy gut, happy <laughs> life. Uh, you've got uh, a, a, a full course on this thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um, cool stuff on there for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And right away, it's people could just go to uh, thomashemingway.com um, and find a wealth of information. So, uh, yeah, we might as well just jump right into talking about gut health. <laughs> yeah, we can do that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, so. absolutely. The thing that the thing that the good Dr. Thomas never learned about medical school, man. We never talked about that stuff back in the day. So it was, uh, I kind of learned it uh, along with you know everyone else when I was just in practice and with my own life and figuring out stuff. And yeah, it's pretty cool because yeah, when I was in med school, that wasn't even a thing. You know, twenty seven wow. years ago, I was in medical school and. I'm not sure I ever even heard that phrase, gut health. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, definitely, you know, the cool thing is there's so much out there nowadays, so much research, so much data. It's not just woo-woo kind of stuff. There's actually a mm. lot of great, great stuff out there that, uh, that, that we can, you know, dig into and we can apply and we can make our, you know, make that sort of uh, teamwork, you know, between us and them, you know, because there's so many more of them than there are of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably a good place to start. You know, these guys like literally outnumber us. <laughs> I think uh, the, the latest count, you know, there's something like 33 trillion human cells. And then as far as the, the what's called the microbiota, which is all of the organisms that live in us, on us, within us, inside us, there's something around 40 trillion. So they do outnumber us. They used to think it was 10 to one. Now it's just uh, about 1.3 to one or something, but there's still more of them <laughs> than there are of us. But one thing there's way more of is their sort of genome that is referred to as the microbiome. That's sort of this kind of buzzword out there that everybody's talking about. So that's all the DNA or genetic material of all these little guys that are inside of us, on us, on our skin, in our guts. And that is much more prevalent, a hundred something times more 
genetic material than we have as human uh, DNA. So we're actually more us than we are them. So that's why I think people should pay attention to their gut health because we're literally <laughs> outnumbered. <laughs> so, you know what? We hear about the gut health stuff, but what is gut health? I mean, do I take a look at my poop or, you know, yeah, or is it yeah. the, my stomach is growling and it's like, oh, something's wrong with my gut. So what is this gut health thing? Yeah, all of that, all of that. Yeah, the, <laughs> I'm one of those doctors, you know, Chuck, that I will ask people specifically about their poop. You know, how often are they pooping and what does it look like? And, you know, <laughs> because a lot of people don't think about this very much, but one of the primary mechanisms that we can get rid of toxins, and we're around so many toxins nowadays, is through our poop, you know, through our stool, through, uh, through our feces. And, and so if we're not eliminating at a minimum once a day, that's just not enough. Like I have people set as a goal, literally. I mean, people will make a calendar and a little check mark, you know, for following this kind of thing when they're just kind of adjusting things and trying to get more familiar with it all. But literally like pooping once a day is the bare minimum in my book. Like I think if you have twice a day that you have a good bowel movement, even better, you know, but minimum once a day because that's your primary mechanism for eliminating toxins actually <laughs> but beyond that <laughs> the, so you're like how can we tell what's going on like <laughs> so many ways man so many ways so let me just give you an example so about yeah. 10 years ago um i did not have great gut health my gut wasn't that happy and some of the ways that i can describe what i was going through so i'm turning 50 this year and 10 years ago i was just on the cusp of 40 and i was like What's wrong with me? I'm feeling tired all the time. My joints are achy. I just don't feel as mentally sharp and clear as normal. Like, am I just getting older? Like, what's the matter with me? <laughs> I thought I was just getting older. You know, I'm like, I'm hitting 40. It must be downhill, right? <laughs> and I just started digging in a little bit to my habits. And I've always been, you know, Chuck, I've always been a pretty healthy eater. You know, I'm kind of a real food guy. I don't really buy much that comes out of a package, but there were a few things that I really liked. You know, let me just give me an example. So at the end of a long day at the hospital, like kind of my go-to thing is I would flip on the surf channel. In Hawaii, we have a whole channel dedicated to nothing but surfing. <laughs> so I'd literally come plop myself on the couch after a long day at work, put on the surf channel and eat like either a whole pint of Ben and Jerry's or a half a pint. Like every night I either ate half or a whole thing. And I would just sit there on the couch and just kind of like veg out after a busy day at work. And I just thought, you know, what's, what's the matter with that? Right. <laughs> but what I didn't realize is that, you know, all of the things that we put in our mouth will affect us and them. So I was craving this stuff. I'll just be honest. I was literally craving this stuff. If I missed a night, I was like almost having withdrawals. And what I realized is that this wasn't me being a weak human being. This was actually an expression of what was going on in my gut. So most people have no idea, but those bugs, those bacteria primarily, they make up the majority of what's in your intestinal tract. The bacteria, they're like, you know, over three quarters of all these organisms I talked about at the beginning. They literally can send chemical messages. It's kind of like if you hop on your phone and you want to text a friend, you just quick you know, shoot out a text message. These little guys, these bacteria are literally sending messages to our brain telling us what to eat. And so back then when I was eating this, you know, processed ice cream every single night, I had a preponderance of 
the phyla firmicutes is kind of the, the buzzword. A lot of people have heard of that uh, type of bacteria that we have in our gut. And that's the kind that you don't necessarily want to have a bunch of. You know, there's this saying out in social media, if you want to be, you know, have tight and firm muscles and you want to be cute, you want to ditch the firmicutes. That's the type of bacteria that uh, literally crave sweets, crave, you know, processed foods, all these like highly, you know, palatable, super tempting foods out there, you know, that come either in the form of ice creams or, you know, cookies, chips are the famous ones. You know, you can't only eat just one, you know, you're going to have to have a second, a third and a 10th and a 100th. And then the bag's gone. And you're like, that's not you as a human being weak. That's literally these, these guys and gals, the, the bugs in your, in your, in your gut, the bacteria, they literally send messages to your brain telling you to eat more, eat more, eat more. <laughs> because what happens when you eat more, they survive, right? It's all about survival, mm -hmm. Chuck, down to the you know basic, basic principles of life. It's all about survival. And these guys want to survive. And so when you feed them that kind of processed food, they survive. But at you know, the, there's, there's a little bit of collateral damage, right? So if, if they're surviving, then some of the good guys, so to speak, that are more helpful and, and healthy for you, they're getting crowded out. So that's this whole process called dysbiosis. It's when the not so awesome gut bugs are outnumbering the good helpful ones like the lactobacillus, the bifidobacterium, you know, the ones that can actually do a lot of really great things for us. Like some of them even make vitamins. Like you've heard of that vitamin K that's great for keeping your blood the right amount of you know, clotting so that when you fall and you skin your knee skateboarding, you know, that it'll heal right up. Like you want to have vitamin K around. Well, you have bacteria in your gut that can make vitamin K. They can also help process your foods. They can also help make um, the so-called, you know, neurotransmitters like the happy hormones we refer to as serotonin, for example. I think you probably know this, Chuck, because you're a pretty bright dude, but 95% actually of all the serotonin in your entire body, 95% of it is in your gut. Like, holy crap, like way wow. more than the brain. And so what's cool about this is they're looking into now that starting to understand this better, the makeup of your gut, you know, what, what bacteria are there and trying to be able to help folks that have, you know, problems with stress and anxiety and depression, instead of just tossing out some sort of pill, right. That's going to hopefully increase your, your, you know, serotonin is the one most of these are marketed to do. They're called selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And they're, they're trying to increase that concentration. Now we're looking at how that can be done through getting your gut healthy, because it's, it's, core, it's literally a direct correlation between if your gut is healthy, that is helpful also for your mood and, you know, to be able to not have so many, you know, issues with anxiety, depression, these kind of things that are so common nowadays and they're reflected yeah. in your gut. So before I, I just want to share this one thing that's super cool. I could literally take from you or the next guy on the street, a sample of your poop. You know, we're talking about poop, right? I could take a sample of that and I could look at... The, the organisms that largely make up your gut. And I could tell you without even ever meeting you, if I think you may have issues with say anxiety or depression or stress or these kind of things, just by the makeup of your gut, it's, it's that specific. It's, it's pretty darn, pretty wow. darn cool stuff. <laughs> well, a um, couple of things real quick then for me, yeah. what I'm, uh, it, it stands out. It sounds like because of your ice cream, Sugar might be bad or sugar might yep. um, increase bad gut health. Maybe uh, dairy products, lactose, milk kind of mm -hmm. things. And then a couple of them that just really surprised me is, like I said, stress can really have an effect yeah. 
on your gut health then. So yeah. that that yeah. that really blows me away about the stress part. So um, going with our stool, with our poop, and you know being able to uh, get a diagnosis on uh, if you have poor gut health. I've been going to the doctors on semi-regular yeah. basis now, checkup type of things. But mm-hmm. other than you know the commercials that you see now for uh, uh, alternative to colonoscopy or you know getting yeah. uh, those tests, they give you the bag to put your poop sample in there. Yeah, but yeah. that's for that. But you never hear anything about gut health. Um, outside of experts such as yourselves. I mean, a regular family practitioner, they tell you to, if you don't want to yeah. go in and have a, a camera put up there or anything like that, <laughs> take this bag home and poop in it. Yeah. Well, it's not really like that. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But they don't say anything about we're going to screen for gut health. Why is that? Yeah, and true. can you ask to have that done? Yeah, yeah. So you can definitely ask to have that done. Um, a lot of the physicians out there are not as well versed in this sort of thing because when what you're referring to is more a screening test for specifically like colon cancer, right? Any of us that are mm-hmm. over 50 or sometimes 45, depending on family history, and sometimes it'll drop even to 40, you know, depending on family history, we need to kind of be thinking about this sort of thing, the screening part. And and the colonoscopy, exactly what you described. It's a camera literally going up your butt and looking around for you know precancerous stuff, the polyps and, and any evidence of bleeding or irregularities there that they can see on a macroscopic level, which is like, you know, you can see it with the naked eye. What what they're completely missing is what is in the colon, you know, with respect to the bacteria there. They're not even looking at that. They're not even taking a sample when you do that stool sample and send it in if you're considering that for the screening test you know for colon cancer they're only looking for whether or not there's blood in there because if there's blood in there even blood that you can't see you know that's red and and so on they um, use that as a potential um, indicator that there could be something uh, going on there you know either a polyp that's bleeding or a cancer that's bleeding or something like that but that's a pretty late a pretty late type of thing. And so um, actually identifying the health of your gut by the stool is thankfully um, now available in this day, you know, 2023, there's actually quite a few of these tests that can be done where they literally can give you, it's almost like, um, you know, when the human genome project completed about a decade ago and you could get um, kind of get uh, your whole makeup and tell if you have certain types of genes uh, um, predisposing you to certain conditions and stuff. Well, they actually have a test like that for your poop, for the bacteria in your in your stool, and it can tell you what's the makeup. You know, like I was referring to at the outset. You know, do you have more of the Firmicutes phyla in your in your gut, or do you have more of the Bacterioidetes, which is a little bit more healthy there? And you can tell this kind of thing by the stool sample, but only if specifically the doctor requests for it, because this is not mm. kind of a knee jerk you know test like the one you're referring to, where they're just looking for the presence or absence of a little bit of blood as a potential indicator of a cancer or precancer. That's a super, that's kind of like the dark ages kind of a test, right? Like they're literally just testing for presence or absence of blood and nothing else. It doesn't give you very many details, but if you get one of these more specific and there's a whole bunch of different types, I'm not going to, you know, go into the um, weeds uh, and discuss all of the ones that are available. But if you have a practitioner that's familiar with uh, gut health, 
um, they can certainly test this kind of thing. In fact, I'll just share with you that my child, um, I, I've mentioned this to you, but I have a young, a young girl who's, uh, who's seven, and she just in the last uh, like six weeks was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and, you know, completely kind of threw us for a loop because we're like, how is that even possible? You know, we're super healthy. We eat real food. Like, you know, and, and it dawned on me that there are some type 1 um, diabetes uh, situations where it is uh, familial. And my grandfather uh, had type 1 diabetes. He thankfully was a total health nut. And the dude lived till he was like 95 years old, even with type 1 diabetes on insulin, basically his whole life. <laughs> but he took care of himself. And so, you know, my daughter at seven is already on insulin. But in the process of kind of evaluating, like, are there other issues at play here? You know, is this something that came up because her body is, you know, responding inappropriately to some sort of trigger? Like maybe like you mentioned, was it dairy? Was it gluten? Was it, you know, what, what are these kind of triggers that might have sent her body into this inflammatory mode? Because really diabetes um, is one of these many conditions, but um, all of these common sort of medical illnesses that most people have nowadays are really common in the sense that they share a characteristic called inflammation. So whether it be diabetes, whether it be thyroid illness, whether it be problems with stress and hormones, um, all of these things share a common denominator called inflammation. And this is what I refer to not as the inflammation that you have when you fall down and skin your knee skateboarding, which is a good kind of inflammation, right? That's the type that helps you to heal, but it's a chronic inflammation that basically day after day, week after week, month after month is kind of this smoldering fire that never goes out in your body. And whether this is causing you joint pain or skin rashes like eczema or problems with your you know, stool where you get constipated some days, diarrhea, and other days you're getting abdominal cramps, where you're getting a little bit of this so-called brain fog where you're not as clear as you want to be. I was having many of these symptoms about a decade ago prior to when I really started paying attention to my gut. You know, I had a little bit of inflammation going on. And there's some simple tests that you can do at your doctors. Most of them will do this test. It's called the highly sensitive C-reactive protein. And that's kind of just a basic marker of inflammation. It doesn't tell you where it's coming from. It could be coming from an infection. It could be coming from an inflammatory process causing you joint pain. It could be coming from having diabetes or elevated uh, blood sugars or what's called insulin resistance or hormonal problem. It could be coming from almost anything, but if you can really tune up your health, that number will go down and hopefully be lower than the detectable uh, range, which is you know, something less than two when you're talking about the highly sensitive C-reactive protein. And so <clears throat> what's cool about this inflammation thing, Chuck, is that it's kind of like a common denominator of basically almost all illness. So I don't know if you've ever heard. So, so you and I'm sure all the viewers out there and listeners know that the number one cause of death in the developed world is heart disease. And it has been for a long time, decades and decades and decades. Sadly, we have so much amazing treatment that we can do. Like when I was working full-time in the ER, somebody would come in with a heart attack. Like we could get that blood vessel opened up. You know, we could get in there with a catheter. We could open up that clogged blood vessel and save the heart. That's a great temporary measure. But what causes that 
blockage in the first place. That's kind of where we need to really attack this issue of heart disease because although we have the amazing technology and capability to go into the vessel and do this kind of rotor-rooter thing where we unplug it, we unclog it, we open it up, we put a stent in, all these kind of fancy medical treatments, but what we're not doing well is preventing them in the first place. In fact, here in the U.S., did you know, Chuck, that over 90% of all of the healthcare dollars that are spent in this country, and we're talking trillions and trillions of dollars are spent annually on healthcare, over 90% of them are spent on so-called chronic diseases. These are things like diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity, high cholesterol, kidney disease. These are the things that literally... Um, are the ongoing issues that are smoldering this fire, that are stoking this fire of inflammation that's burning day in and day out. And it is the chronic stuff that we do terrible at. I, I'm super proud of what we can do in the ER setting. You know, if you fall down and dislocate your shoulder, we can put that thing right back in place, no problem. You get, you know, hopefully you don't, but there's guys getting attacked by sharks. Like uh, I spent some time in Florida lately. There's a place over there that's the number one shark capital of the world. And so guys are getting their legs bit by sharks and stuff like that. Like we can fix you up pretty good in that kind of injury trauma setting. But what we're not doing great in this country is is treating the chronic disease. And, and I, would, I would say that preventing it in the first place is really the place to start because most of this stuff, in fact, over 90% of it, Chuck, is preventable, right? Mm-hmm. Like most of the illnesses out there, heart disease being the most common that people are familiar with, most of that is entirely preventable. Most people have no idea. And you know where it starts, Chuck? It starts at the tip of your fork. <laughs> Who knew it could be uh, that simple? Yeah. And, you know, we talk about and you're talking about prevention, preventable medicine, preventable this and that. And a lot of people hear that word, that term. But like you said, it it starts at the end of that that fork going in and into the mouth. It's so many of us just for some reason or the other one reason or another, just don't follow what we know that we're supposed to do. I guess yeah. that's a and whole other subject. It's a whole other topic, but actually even I like to say at the end of your at the end of your fork, but even prior to that, it's what lands in your cart, right? At the grocery store. If that stuff mm. never gets into the cart in the first place, you won't ever be tempted by it. Like I, I did this uh, this thing I called the pantry purge a couple of years back where I basically went through my pantry and I threw out all the stuff that was not that awesome. And this is basically, you know, there's only three things really that we should really focus on avoiding from our diet, Chuck. Super simple. You mentioned one of them already. Sugar, the highly processed sugars. Like anything that has sugar, especially the highly processed stuff, like high fructose corn syrup, which is basically in almost every little sweet treat that we like, you know, an Oreo cookie or whatever it might be, it's in there, high fructose corn syrup. (laughs) And so anything with sugar, especially the highly processed ones like high fructose corn syrup. And, And the thing is, they're trying to deceive us, Chuck. There's like 30 words for sugar. You know, they're calling it agave nectar. They're calling it brown rice syrup. Hey, I'm telling you, if it says syrup in there, it's not healthy. Like, I don't care. It's brown rice. It sounds healthy. Oh, it's brown rice. It's got to be healthy. Brown rice syrup is a no-go. I mean, that's a super highly processed sugar. So number one is just avoid, like you said, Chuck, appropriately, is the sugary stuff. Highly processed especially. Uh, Number two is the highly processed grains, things that are gluten-containing, even oats. Almost any grain that you're pulverizing into a super finely ground particle and then making stuff out of, 
is not awesome for your body. Did you know that that will spike the blood sugar almost equally as high as just plain table sugar? Like, it's crazy. Here in the U.S., we are eating like 150 pounds of sugar a year on average and about 150 pounds of highly processed uh, flours as well. And they both spike the blood sugar like crazy. And that's what causes a insulin resistance, which leads to type 2 diabetes and, and all of those issues. So highly processed grains and flours, highly processed sugar. And the third thing is the seed oils, the seed oils. These are most people are familiar with anything that says vegetable oil is unfortunately not awesome. And these were actually proposed to be the healthier version. You and I will remember this because when we were kids, we were told, oh, don't eat butter. Don't eat eggs. Mm-hmm. Like that highly, pro- you know, that, that natural fat, the saturated fat, that's bad for you. That's what causes heart attack. Eat this canola oil, mazola, corn oil, vegetable oil, whatever kind of oil, soybean oil, all these oils that they're making in the factory that come from plants and vegetables these are actually the oils that are a lot less healthy because they literally come on the shelf rancid and they don't look it because you know why Chuck, they bleach it, they deodorize it, they treat it with harsh chemical solvents like toluene, for example, just to make it nice and clear and it looks you know perfect and it doesn't smell bad because they go through all these chemical processes before they get it on the shelf there. And then they tell you, well, hey, this is organic canola oil. It's heart healthy. Couldn't be further from the truth. So anything that comes from a seed, like, you know, canola oil comes from grape seeds. There's these tiny little seeds. You know, if you've ever seen a a grape that has seeds in them, they're that small. Those type of seeds are pressed and pulverized and treated with high high heat, high pressure. All these kinds of things like corn, same thing to get oil out of corn. It's actually pretty hard. It has to go through an industrial process. And so all of those processed oils that I kind of collectively refer to as seed oils, we got to avoid them. The most common that's out there is probably soybean oil and canola oil. They're in almost everything. If it comes in a package, a bag or a box, you know, with a barcode, almost all of those have some version of a seed oil, either soybean, canola, safflower, sunflower, corn oil, whatever. We need to avoid those. You know what the ones are that we should be using, Chuck? They're the ones that our ancestors used, right? Just pure, simple, extra virgin olive oil, right? How do you get oil from an olive? You take the thing and you just squeeze it. You press it. Same with my favorite, which from Hawaii, we have coconuts all around. And you press those things and squeeze them and you get oil out of that. You know, you've heard of cocoa butter. It's an oily fruit. You just press it and you get oil. So coconut oil is fine. Olive oil is fine. Avocado oil is fine because same thing. It's a very oily fruit. Yes, avocado is a fruit, but when you put just light pressure and you squeeze it, you get oil out of it. So there's no harsh processing. They don't come in the package rancid. And when these oils are consumed, the seed oils, the bad ones I told you about, um, they cause a lot of inflammation. Remember that inflammation is literally the common denominator of almost all health problems from heart attacks to depression in the brain, depression and those symptoms of anxiety. It's inflammation happening in the brain. It's literally inflammation. These are inflammatory processes. And we never used to think that way. Now we're like, well, duh, no wonder if I eat a bunch of chips or Oreos or these kinds of things, it affects my mood. Like I might feel good while I'm initially eating them because that's the dopamine release that happens immediately. That's that's the way they're designed. They're designed so we'll just keep eating them. That dopamine is that kind of cravings and that high that comes when we eat them. But later on, we're like, oh my gosh, I just finished that whole bag of Doritos. I feel like crap. I have no energy. And all of a sudden, 
my blood sugar dips and I feel like I need to go get some more, right? Because it'll raise my blood sugar again and give me a little bit more pep. And so it's, uh, I don't know, I don't want to, I don't want to say sinister or evil, but it's planned that way. Like there's literally food scientists that plan and design these types of foods specifically so we'll get addicted to them. Why? Because we'll buy more, right? It increases the bottom line, it but sells. they cause inflammation. They cause that achiness that I was feeling at age 40. I thought, I'm just getting old, Chuck. Like, I don't think I could ride my skateboard anymore. My knees hurt. My ankles hurt. Like, everything hurts when I wake up in the morning. What's going on? Well, duh, it was probably that bowl of ice cream I had right before I went to bed. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot that we have to really uh, take into consideration, it sounds like, as far as our gut health goes. But again, like you said, at, at the beginning of this, um, it's, it's easy. It, it goes, and as you said, it goes before the fork. It's what goes in your shopping cart. So you have to be aware yeah. of that. And I do remember like you're saying, as far as the, the canola, canola oil, um, and things like that. But I, I remember you look and it's like, wow, is that pretty clear golden color? It's gotta be good. And it's it shows the good. pictures of the vegetables on there. And like, oh yeah, this is really good. Vegetable oil, <laughs> canola oil. Um, my question i'm wondering uh flax or flax seed is that considered one of the bad things where they could squeeze oils or is flax or flax seed or flax meal good for the gut no that's that's different that's more of a fibrous thing the flax seed is actually exactly what you said it is good for the gut and let's just talk about that a little bit the reason it's good is because the bacteria can actually break that stuff down. Like you and I, if we just try to chew up a flax seed and, and eat it and we look at our poop, we see the same seed in it. We're like, well, why did we even eat that? But interestingly enough, the bacteria there knows how to digest that. And when they see these highly fibrous foods, like everything from asparagus to my favorite, which is Brussels sprouts. I don't know why I love them so much, but maybe it's because I dump a bunch of olive oil on there, salt and pepper, garlic, and I cook them in the oven and they're crispy. And I throw a little Parmesan cheese on or something at the end. And it's just, they taste amazing. But Brussels sprouts, asparagus, Jerusalem artichokes, all these kinds of things are very fibrous. They have tons of fiber. And, and we don't necessarily eat that for us. We actually eat it for them. It's what's called a prebiotic. It's a prebiotic. And so we're feeding those good, healthy gut bugs like the lactobacillus, the bifidobacterium, the acromantia, which is getting a lot of the press lately because it's associated with having a happier mood and feeling good and, and that sort of thing. And um, so these bacteria prosper when we eat that fibrous stuff, like flaxseed, or um, the other one that I think a lot of folks are, are doing nowadays is putting in some chia, right? Throw some chia into your smoothie. I even sneak that in with my kids. And if you really wanna kind of sneak it in, you just put a little bit overnight, a little bit of water in there so it softens it up real good. Then you throw it in the blender and it just, you got this extra fiber in there that the kids don't even know about. They don't taste it, but their guts are happy. <laughs> it makes them poop, wow, right? So, <laughs> so fiber is very important for the gut health then. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very helpful. It's beneficial and more so for them than for us. Honestly, we could do without it. We don't, in fact, our bodies aren't designed to process it. You know, think about our single solitary stomach and compare it to say a cow, a ruminant that has a couple of stomachs in a row that can process the, you know, these types of grasses and, and fibrous things. We can't like, honestly, like, I know this sounds crazy, but when you go out and eat a salad, 
Like most of that stuff is not for you. It's actually for your gut, your gut bugs, the bacteria that are there, that fibrous stuff helps them. And if you can feed them, the good guys, so to speak, that are the ones that can do all these great things for us that I alluded to before, like make vitamins for us, make neurotransmitters like serotonin. They can also help those cells in the intestinal tract that line the actual lining. I don't know if you know this, but the lining of our intestinal tract, which is about the size of maybe a pickleball court, is literally a single cell thick. It's less than the diameter of a human hair, much less than that. And so all of the stuff that you eat is that close to getting into your bloodstream. And that may or may not be a good thing. If you eat really good, healthy stuff, it's not such a bad thing because you're close to being able to absorb all that stuff. But if you, if you eat a lot of inflammatory stuff, that stuff can get into your body and it's not supposed to be there because that lining is literally a single cell thick, but it has a protective layer. It's called mucus or mucin. And the way that that gets produced is when your bacteria are healthy, they can help produce um, the food for those intestinal cells. They're called short chain fatty acids is the name of that food, so to speak. But the bacteria produce this, the intestinal cells use it, eat it, if you will. And then they secrete this mucus that actually protects the lining of your gut. So you don't get foreign particles into your bloodstream that could kill you or injure you or cause inflammation. And so when you feed that bacteria by eating the salads, by eating fibrous stuff, that's actually helping you on the flip side to keep that lining protecting you from all the potential bad invaders, both bacteria, viruses, and food particles, and toxins in what we eat. Keep that stuff out of your bloodstream. And the way to do that is by keeping those gut bugs healthy, by eating your fiber. So that's that's why the fiber is important. <laughs> Dang that this I mean this is a lot of information and I just want to throw this out there once again that your your book is coming out in January of 2023 and it's called Preventable but not only that if you go to uh thomashemingway.com you do have this course on happy gut happy life so I encourage everybody that's watching and listening to definitely go you know check out the website uh, the book is coming out if you're listening to this after it's come out um Order from your website and probably from Amazon and things yeah. like that. You can read some um, excerpts on it. It's it's definitely going to do you good. It's not going to do you any harm. It's going to do you good. So one way or another, check this out. Yeah, uh, just all the good. <laughs> what are some of the signs that you might have uh, a problem with your gut health? Are there things that you could that you can that you can see or that you can feel? I, I think you alluded to the fact of some of the things where if you have this low energy and things like that, but are, are there other signs? Uh, yeah, you know what's, what's interesting? Um, the gut and the skin are intimately connected in the same way that the gut is connected to our brain. There's this thing called the gut-brain axis. There's also a thing called the gut-skin axis. And so sometimes the manifestations of an unhappy gut or an unhealthy gut will come out in your skin. Like a lot of folks have skin conditions, say eczema or dry skin or irritated skin, and that may be a manifestation of poor gut health. A lot of the allergies that are out there nowadays, especially so many food sensitivities that exist today in 2023 that didn't exist a decade or two decades ago, most of these food sensitivities are a sign of a gut not being super healthy. The other ones, as I alluded to, are things like achy joints, or you just feel inflamed. You feel 
a little bit swollen when you wake up in the morning. Your feet, your hands feel kind of achy. Having a little bit of that lack of mental clarity or the so-called brain fog. Or maybe your mood is not awesome and you're feeling down, you're feeling anxious. A lot of these things can be traced back to a not-so-happy gut. And so, in fact, as I was kind of mentioning at the beginning, they can actually do tests and look at what is the makeup of your gut bacteria. And you can predict certain conditions that you may have just based on the colonies of the type of bacteria that exist in your gut. And so it's, it's pretty amazing. But I would say a lot of these things, Chuck, just to kind of keep it super simple, like for me, when I turned 40, I just thought I was getting old, right? I'm like, ah, you know, you just fall apart. And I can tell you as a physician, I have had many, many patients come to me and say, doc, I just feel like I'm falling apart. You know, I'm 35 now or I'm 40 or I'm 45 now. I just feel like my body is just not doing the stuff that it used to do. And all of those signs that you feel, low energy, the achiness, the foggy brain, the maybe lack of, you know, just zest for life, you feel a little down, all of those things can potentially be traced back to your gut health. But the cool thing, Chuck, just to kind of put all this in, and wrap it up and put a bow on top is that the things that you can do to get your gut healthy are actually the same things that you want to do to get the rest of your body healthy. And that's what I describe in the book. There's really five areas to really focus on. The first one is the food. Food is either your best possible medicine and you can you know, take it three times a day or whatever, or food can be a slow poison, right? You can make not so awesome food choices and you can literally be poisoning yourself slowly. And so like you mentioned, you wanna at the grocery store make those first decisions where what you put in the cart is gonna be the stuff that ends up in your fridge and your, in your pantry so you don't have to be like, oh crap, you know, I don't wanna be tempted by the stuff that's in my freezer, you know, that Haagen-Dazs ice cream or the Ben and Jerry's. If you never grab that in the grocery store, it's never gonna be there once you get home. Like if you literally just shop around the outside or the perimeter of the gro grocery store where you have single ingredient foods, all the stuff that doesn't need a label, and that's where you buy 90 plus percent of your food, you're gonna be golden. And it doesn't matter if you're vegetarian, vegan, um, you know, there's so many choices out there, pescatarian, carnivore, whatever, whatever works for you, I'm, I'm totally fine with as long as it's real food, right? It's a single ingredient, well-grown, well-sourced, real food. That's going to be always the best. And then number two is you got to pay attention to your sleep. And when you optimize your sleep, it actually helps your gut. There's literally, there's this whole thing in the gut called diversity. Diversity, you know, you, the saying that we always like to quote is diversity is the spice of life. Well, that's true. It's not only with, you know, things and activities that we enjoy. There are many sundry and varied, but the foods, right? We want to have variety in our food, but same thing for our gut bacteria. The more different species, the more types, the so-called increased alpha diversity of the gut, the more healthier you will be. So we talk about sleep in the book. We talk about movement or exercise, right? Of course, that's going to be healthy for your body, but who knew it's actually good for your gut. It's good for the bacteria there. They actually respond to exercise and it grows the helpful colonies better. And then you have uh, stress. You mentioned this at the beginning. Stress optimization is such a critical thing that we can do and we can work on because right now, we're being bombarded by stimuli from every direction, right? Whether it be from social media or the news or newspapers or whatever it is, we're being bombarded by stressful things all day long. And, and unless we learn how to kind of, I hate to use the word cope. I like to, you know, be a more positive. I, I like to optimize the stress because we're, we're all going to get hit with it. But there's simple things we can do, right? What I did, I just turn off the news. I never watch TV anymore. 
I get enough news from, you know, when I look for certain things, I'll get the news. I don't need to specifically seek out and turn the television on and watch the news because I get depressed like everybody else. You know, that stuff doesn't uplift you. It depresses you. It's like, so just get it out of your life. But I have a whole chapter on how to optimize stress. And then the last one is the gut health piece because that really ties everything together. All of these things, optimizing your stress, eating good food, moving your body, uh, responding you know, to sleep appropriately with your so-called circadian rhythm, you know, having a, a day-night cycle that is basically similar, right, to what we used to do a couple hundred years ago before we had all the blue lights and whatnot. If we can sync up our body to the sun and to the natural cycle where we're up and out and doing our stuff during the day, and then as the sun goes down, we start to kind of, you know, have a cool-down ritual, and we have an evening ritual. We turn off the blue lights. Maybe we read a book. We maybe write in a gratitude journal, listen to music, whatever that might be, sit in a hot uh, bathtub, sauna, whatever we like. Those kind of cool down activities are really great to do in the evening. Getting away from that stimulating stuff like the news or the TV or the Netflix uh, binges, you know, that keep us up till two and three in the morning. And then we're like, how come we can't go to sleep? We're, our brain is on. It thinks it's the middle of the day. We've been watching that blue light on the TV. <laughs> so that's the cool part about this, Chuck, is all of the things we can do to enhance the health of our gut will correspondingly have this amazing synergy with our body. They all help our body get into that optimal health that we so desire. They go hand in hand. I just want to add one last thing to the, to those five that you just talked about before we close out is that everything that Dr. Hemingway just said, we control, we have control over. It does not control us. So, you know, Take it into your own hands and control. You could control everything that goes in the shopping cart. You could control your TV channel. You could control the, the, the lighting in your house, all of that. And um, I may be wrong, but I'm going to say probably one of the, the biggest culprits out there with poor health in general might be the lack of sleep that people get. So that is hugely important. So people out there, you, you need to get rest and that, you know, you need more than five hours a day. So <laughs> totally. We can't use the mantra of my favorite cure song, Chuck, the 513 dream, sleep when you're dead. Like that was my mantra for too many decades of my life. And I've finally grown up and I realized that sleep is powerful and it's necessary. It's crucial. It's critical. Like I, I have to give myself a little bit of, of grace on this one because in medical school, they didn't teach us why sleep was important. Part of it is they just didn't know. The research that came out in uh, 2006 with the folks out of the University of Rochester where they discovered this whole system in the brain called the glymphatic system, which is what sort of flushes out all the toxins that develop over the course of the day. You know, the things that lead to buildup of, say, the tau protein, the amyloid beta, all these things that, that we're concerned about when it comes to neurodegenerative conditions like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. These things get flushed out at night. That's when we refresh, rejuvenate. We take out the trash, so to speak, and effectively that cleansing process can only happen while we're sleeping. So if you're not sleeping, and there's so seven, much eight more hours that a night, that toxin builds up. So you got to sleep. It's that important. Yeah. Uh, uh, along with, if, if you're trying to build muscle, if you're at that age still where you want to build muscle, while you sleep, that's when it repairs so you can build. So there's a whole lot of benefits to sleep. Although I'm saying this and I'm listening to you and I know this, I need to stop my Netflix binging at night. 
<laughs> I mean, maybe once in a while it's cool, but not. don't make it a habit. You know what I mean? And make it quality sleep. Do all the pre-sleep rituals that cool you down, put you in a good place, turn down the blue lights, get in your reading, you know, little red light out or just kind of kick back, writing a little gratitude journal, sit in the tub, whatever it is that kind of mellows you out and gets you ready for sleep. Like do that the overwhelming majority of the time. And then if you want to have a Netflix binge once in a while, totally cool. But we've had like almost three years worth of this during the pandemic, right? It's like, we're all just going crazy with our, our binge watching. It's like, okay, enough is enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, hey, this has been fantastic. Uh, I, I've, I've learned a lot and I've relearned a lot to put back into my brain to really try to follow through with everything that you're you're talking about so uh thanks for coming on again i really appreciate it and when is that book coming out yeah so january 15th uh should be out and if not it'll be out right around that time you can just go to my website like you mentioned thomashemingway.com it'll have all the links there you can even go pre-order it now if you want um, and it'll be available on Amazon, all the usual places as well. But uh, yeah, it's going to be such a great way to start your 2023 to just crush the new year with all of your dreams, desires, and hopes. Because like Chuck said, the cool thing is all of this is within your power. Like we are not just simply, you know, uh, destined to be a certain way because of, let's say the genes that we have. Like even my daughter, she got this thing in her early years, seven years old. She has type one diabetes. She can still live a full life if she manages this. And I know it because my grandfather had the same illness, type 1 diabetes. He lived till he was uh, 94 years old, and he was vibrant. That guy in his 90s could still beat me at racquetball. I know, like, who plays racquetball? He had the advantage because I never practiced, and he knew how to play. I didn't. I could probably beat him at tennis or pickleball, but he crushed me in racquetball in his 90s because he stayed vibrant. <laughs> he stayed vital. And like Chuck says, we can do that. The power is within us. We get to make these choices each and every day. And if you mess up once in a while, dude, totally cool. Like you're not broken. That's the message I have for everybody is you're not broken. You are perfect. You can do great things and it's all within your reach. Yep. Well, thank you. Thank you again.